Welcome to Series 9, Episode 3 of York Hospital Ball. This week's guest is former goalkeeper Graham Crawford, who joined the club from Sheffield United in 1971 and went on to appear over 200 times for the Minstermen across two spells. Graham was part of the legendary side of 1973-74 that won promotion to the old second division and during that season kept a record-breaking 11 clean sheets. Here Graham talks about that iconic era for the club as well as his wider career as a professional footballer. This series is sponsored by NND Woodhouse Plastering, a local family-run company that have served York and the surrounding areas since the 1960s. They cover all aspects of contemporary housing to Tudor renovations using traditional methods and materials. Visit their website, woodhouseplastering.com, woodhouseplastering.com, or find them on Facebook for further details. For now, please enjoy Series 9, Episode 3, Club Legend, Graham Crawford. Right, thank you for speaking to us, Graham. The 1970s had some iconic moments for York City, but I don't think we've had anyone to discuss that era since Chris Jones in Series 1, so it's going to be great to get your kind of insights. First of all, before York City, what, what made you become not just a footballer, but a goalkeeper? It all started when I was at school, and uh, I used to play right back at school, and then I couldn't get a game, and a couple of games they said, well, you're going goal. So I went in goal, and fortunately did okay, and uh, eventually got for the, the school team as a goalkeeper but then when I, I left school I stopped playing football as such and I, I was sort of working and a friend that I used to go to school with said to, to me well came knocking on the door on a Friday night and he played for a local junior team in Scotland and said we need a goalkeeper tomorrow I said no nah, I've had enough of football I'm not going to not going to play and he says oh help us out for one game so I played that game and there was a, a, a unknown to me there was a scout from East Stirling who which was Scottish Second Division Club there. And they, they got in touch and asked if I'd go for a trial. And this all happened really, really quickly. And I played a trial on the Wednesday night against St Mirren. I signed on the Thursday and played against Stranraer on the Saturday. And then it was close season, it's pre-season. So during the pre-season, I got a phone call from the manager at East Stirling. Uh, would you come in and see me? And uh, I thought, oh, well, I've played, played two games, the writing's on the wall <laughs> um, for the next season. And he said, we need you to go to Shrewsbury Town. I said, Shrewsbury? I'd never been out of Scotland apart from been at Morecambe or Blackpool or mm. Southport or somewhere with my mum and dad and I says no I'm not interested he says you need to go he says we've they've offered £10,000 for you and uh, we need floodlights <laughs> so I says Right. No, I'm not. I'm not interested. So that was that was knocked on the head. And the new season started. I played the first game, and on the Saturday and on the Tuesday we were part time and we trained on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On the Tuesday night, the manager said, "I need to see you after the after training." So I had a word with him, and he says, "Right, we'd like you to go to Sheffield United." No, I'm not. I'm not going there. I'm fine where I am. And uh, unknown to me, the manager at Shrewsbury was a bloke called Arthur Rowley. And in the meantime, in the close season, he had moved to Sheffield United, and obviously must have been interested. And so, so I went back and I spoke to my dad, and he says, "Oh, we'll, we'll go and have a talk to them. We'll go and have a talk to them." So anyway, we, we that was how that all sort of came about. Prior to you being at East Stirling in, in 1966, I think you also had a trial at Anfield. How how did, how did that come about, well, sort of getting, getting to Liverpool? 
what what happened was when I'd played that game for my friend uh, as, as well, who who actually not seen for years and years and years, and I, I was ill a few months ago, and he rang me up to see how I was, and he said, "You owe me money," and I says, "What are you on about?" He says, "I was your agent <laughs> before agents were were um, thought of." But anyway, what happened? That also there that had been a scout from Liverpool at that same game, and. Um, we got a knock at the door one night and uh, come in and <coughs> he says, I'm, my name's Harry McEwen and I'm from uh, Liverpool Football Club. Would you like to go for a trial at Liverpool? And I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. So we went down there for like a week and I had to go meet people and meet some other players um, at Central Station in Glasgow and got there and one of them was Kenny Dougalish. And we went there and uh, had a trial but nothing ever came of that and it didn't work out then for Kenny either but later on Bob Paisley paid 650000 for him from Celtic and they could have had him for... Could have been a bit cheaper. Yeah. So, so was Bill Shankly there as part of that, Bill that Shankly, trial then? Yeah, Bill Shankly was there, yeah. He says, he says to me, he says, I think best thing you can do, son, is go back to Scotland. He says, I can't see you making a goalkeeper. <laughs> confidence boost <laughs> yeah but that's just that's just the way it was I mean, it's pretty incredible isn't it that, that you've just talked there about such a short time period yeah. where you're saying oh i'm, I'm working okay. i've had enough of football, football and then yeah. a, a few weeks later you, you someone's offering ten thousand pounds for which which i guess in in those in that era as well is a, is a lot of money isn't it york city these days don't pay ten thousand no, pounds for it a was player. it was a lot of, it was quite a lot of money, but I think it was especially quite a lot for a goalkeeper at that time because goalkeepers didn't command big fees. And we say we went down to Sheffield, my father and I, with the chairman. And uh, I can remember walking into Bramall Lane and having been at a little ground in Scotland and looking at Bramall. It was a cricket ground as well then. It was just three sides. And uh, we had we had a long chat and come back and they offered me like a, a two-year contract and my dad says what are you doing then are you going to sign that contract I says no I'm coming back up the road with you and he says what he says I've never been offered that sort of money he says I've been a labourer like all, all my life because we just came from a council estate and, that. and he says get that signed I says dad I'm not signing that and he says sign it and if you don't like it you can come back in six months and I signed it because my dad was ill and uh, that was the only reason I signed and if I hadn't been for my dad I wouldn't have been where I am now great story I mean keepers are quite protected these days aren't they I mean refs only you know refs blow if anyone breathes close to a goalkeeper <laughs> on corners but I mean it how brutal was it as a sort of twenty-year-old playing in that sort of lower league Scottish football before you moved to Sheffield United? Well, the lower league, I only played three games, so I never really got whacked about. But right. when you come down here, you got you got more and uh, knocked about and pushed into the back of the net and things things like that. But you know, coming to York was great because prior to that, you know, I'd been at Sheffield United, and when I, when I signed for Sheffield United, the first game I played was against Norwich, and within the first ten minutes, I'd been knocked out. I got clattered and like I can remember I was smelling salts and they just get you know I used to count my fingers three yeah you're okay play on and we eventually won that game and that was my first experience of getting actually whacked and clattered yeah inc- incredible isn't it and and we, we were talking in the car on the way over here weren't we about the fact that back then you, you didn't have any keeper gloves or out like 
like that and, and <laughs> just just tell me again that that um the sort of technique you had to sort of protect your, your hands well it didn't really protect your hands you said you did you know the only time you wore gloves is if it was wet and there were sort of green like cotton cotton gloves nothing like what what they've got nowadays and i i don't know i, I just developed this thing i was quite superstitious and, th- and, and things and when i first moved to, to york um we had a clubhouse and uh, a good close friend a, a lad called richard atkinson was was my neighbor and rich worked at, at, at round trees he says do you like chewing gum and i says yeah and uh, he, he brought this box this little square box of beech nut and i started chewing this during games i'd you know take a couple of packets out in the game and i found out that like you know do that and occasionally you know being a bit hungry you'd spit on your hands or something like that and i thought well this makes them sticky so i just kept doing that and that was when when we didn't wear gloves that was that wasn't as protection so it's just to make my my hands a bit more sticky so i've got rich to thank for (laughs) (laughs) how tough was it in those early days sort of living away from home then at at chef united you know because footballers be training in the morning, don't they? And then the rest of the day, I, I presume, is your, is your own. I mean, when you were quite young, living away from home, was that was that difficult? It, it was it was quite hard because, as I say, I'd never never left Scotland, and uh, I went into digs in in Sheffield, uh, right at the other side, uh, a street called Cherry Street, which was the other side of the ground, and uh, with a great family. They were still friendly to this day. Well, they, obviously they've passed on now, but still friendly with the grandsons and that, and they really really looked after me, and so much so that once I got married a couple of years later where my wife and I we lived with them till we till we found a house that they were great but it was strange and you know you used to find it hard and in those days there was no mobile phones or everything you used to walk around to the phone box and phone home and phone my well my wife but my girlfriend then we used to phone like a couple of times but no it, you know it, it was good but when I first arrived in Sheffield I can remember getting off the train onto the platform and there was an old chap called Harry Latham who used to play play for Sheffield United and uh, his first words to me were are they all right love and I went oh gosh what have I come with here you know and uh, but he he was great and that was an, an introduction and you know it was a good club as well Sheffield United I just didn't have the luck there yeah well I was just going to come on to that because you had Alan Hodgkinson an ex-England international and uh, Sheffield United stalwart wasn't he in your way I mean he'd only ever been at that club and you only got a handful of appearances but how did that sort of experience shape the rest of your career because I know you mentioned again when we were driving over here that, that you would played in Italy a few games over there yeah well when I signed for Sheffield United and obviously Arthur Rowley was the manager there and prior to him they had a manager called John Harris who'd been there a long long time and John Harris had moved upstairs and Arthur had become the, the manager and I think his intention of what he said to me was that oh, Alan Hodgkinson was obviously the England, England goalkeeper but he was coming getting 35, 36 at that time so I think they were sort of hoping to introduce me sort of gradually and he said that you'll get an opportunity he says because the, there was an Anglo-Italian tournament and we were going to Italy and he says uh, Hodges on international duty so you'll be playing in those games so we went to Italy and I played it in Napoli, uh, Bologna and Verona and I couldn't believe it you know cause from a, a ground in Scotland where there's 200 300 people you're in Italy where there's a big track round it there's flares going off all sorts and I'm at one end 
and Dino's off at the other end and you know it was absolutely great and I came back full of confidence and that but obviously they played Alan Hodgkinson again and then the first opportunity I got was against Norwich when Hodgie was injured and we, we played that game and we won 1-0 and then uh, a couple of weeks later I played again we, we played Portsmouth away and we won 5-1 but just after that a couple of months after that uh, Arthur Rowley got sacked for some reason and uh, they brought John Harris back and as typical happens at a lot of clubs yeah the manager either likes you or he doesn't like you and I think there's a bit, bit of politics where Arthur Rowley signed him um, no, I'll bring my own goalkeeper in and I'll bring that and, and that was that and so I finished up going to Mansfield on loan for three months and I went there and I enjoyed that that was good and then uh, they got a, a phone call to, to say that York City are interested in you and Grimsby Town are interested in you we, you know obviously we're not going to retain you you can go if you want so I thought alright so went and talked to Laurie McMenemy who was manager then at Grimsby and I said to him like are you going to play me and he says oh eventually he says I've got a good goalkeeper called Harry Wayneman at the moment and uh, he says but you know, I said you'll you'll get your opportunity, and I says okay, right, I'll think I'll think about it and get back to you. So I went and talked to Tom, and which I, I found not difficult, but I, I couldn't quite understand it because they had three goalkeepers at the time at York and Ron Hilliard was one of them I had watched him a couple of weeks ago playing for York against Sheffield United and I thought what a good goalkeeper he is and he was younger so anyway I, I said to Tom I said why do you want to I said oh I need a goalkeeper I says, are you going to play me he says if you sign today I'll play you tomorrow so you know I says, to, I says to Helen I says well three years at Sheffield United not playing I'd rather play in a first team well I was playing in the Central League then you know so that, that was the, the reason I signed for York and I've got that down you mentioned that that game that York City played at Sheffield United I think it was 3-2 wasn't it to Sheffield United That's in a right. League Cup match and I've just got written down here did, did that sort of game and that York performance sort of leave a bit of a lasting impression with you? It did because I thought yeah, yeah you know they, they did really because York obviously were, I think they were a third third division club then yeah. and Sheffield United were like uh, first division club and uh, they, they put up a great as York do in cup games they put up a great performance and they were unlucky to lose that night those first few seasons at York City looked a real slog I mean narrowly missing out on relegation uh, particularly 1972-73 season where the club didn't win any of the first 11 games eight without scoring what, I know obviously we'll come on to the glory times but <laughs> what what was the dressing room like during that period because I mean I was looking at the results and it was so, so bleak looking it was a great dressing room I think that I think that was the mainstay of the club because we had probably a squad of 13, 14 players and there was no stars in the team. Everybody like worked together and, and gave a, gave 100%. And I can remember, I think you probably correct me if I'm wrong because my memory is not very good with a lot of games, but I can I think we had to reply for re-election that season. The yeah. last game was Rotherham That's right, and we yeah. had to win it and I think we drew and we, we, we fortunately the other Cubs kept us in. Yeah, I think you won at Rotherham did on we, the last day. Did, uh, we, did I, we win? I could be wrong. Your memory no, yeah, no, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> but I mean, more, more significant Secondly, I thought for a team bordering on relegation, you only conceded 46 goals mm -hmm. and Notts County and Blackburn conceded more than that and finished in the top three. So did you sort of think that if the club's club can get some more better attacking players that, that there might be something sort of on the horizon yeah I, I, you know I thought the nucleus is there of a really good side and we just need to sort a few positions out and knowing now I didn't know then what I know now like obviously about Tom Johnson but Tom was always sort of going around looking at players and, not, and never made a fuss and, and he would see someone like maybe Jimmy Seal 
Chris Jones and think they could fit in my side and <clears throat> that's how the side developed he would bring players in and slot them in and we, we, we just got a unit that was really really strong so it wasn't almost like a player having like an X factor or a star quality no. it was more of a could they fit into the group that could you already kind the, of um, he'd established could they fit into the jigsaw yeah, you know, he, he had like that and he'd have, he he was tactics in a game, Tom didn't offer a lot, but he had a fantastic sort of mind, I would say, like tactically, where he could work out and say, That player will suit me, this'll play me, I could play that system and if, if he slots in there we'll do quite well. And he did do quite well, nineteen seventy three, nineteen seventy four, I mean just an incredible season. I mean a remarkable turnaround really to win uh, promotion mm-hmm. uh, to division two, which for our younger listeners is the equivalent of a championship. September to January unbeaten for 21 games and of course within that time you went an incredible 11 matches 17 hours and 19 minutes without conceding a goal uh, beating Millwall's record since uh, 1926 I know you're quite diplomatic in interviews I've read of you before (laughs) about it sort of being a team sort of effort Um, but I mean you must be so immensely proud of that record it's incredible it was brilliant you know and uh, because just prior to that when we first on that, that season that first season we played Blackburn away and we got stuffed and we thought oh here we go again you know the first game but then we went as you say we went on a right run and we went to to Aldershot and got a result there and uh, the, the bloke that scored was a bloke called Jack Howarth and we carried on carried on and you, you don't think about it you know because obviously you, your aim is when you go out you try to keep a clean sheet but as it progressed it'd be one two three four and then you know people start sort of talking about it and the lads that I played with they should get as much recognition as I did and uh, as Silly kept t- telling me like we defended up front to help you out you know that's where it started so that was great and then it went on there was a few penalties in that in that run as well and we, we got away with, with them as well and you know occasionally the ball would go around me and Phil Burrows would come and say I got you out of trouble there and they clear it off the line or something like that and then ultimately the bloke that scored again was Jack Howarth at home yeah I've, I've got that written down here for you he, he must have looked pretty Seemed pretty smug when, when he was <laughs> yeah. one who scored at the start yeah. of a run and the end of it. I mean, that back line of, of John Stone, of Phil Burrows, Chris Topping, Barry Swallow, I mean, how much of that was sort of natural them working as a backfire? How much of it was sort of worked on in training? Because you said that you got stuffed early on and then all of a sudden it, it just it, it came, came to, quite resolute. It just came together, yeah. When I can remember, when we first came to York, like Barry Swallow was a great... I, I know he's, he's got his issues and yeah. all like that and hopefully one day the truth and that will come out and he'll be able to hold his head up, I'm sure. But he used to say to me, I'll take everything near post, you take everything far post. And you knew knew where you were and, you know, like with full-backs, like with Phil Burrows and John Stone, they were, they were just like 120% and we just worked great as a unit and it, that progressed if we were tight at the back we knew that if we got a goal we'd have a great chance of getting a result because there's not a lot of teams thrashed us well definitely not not, not in that period no, <laughs> September not, not. to January I mean you mentioned that it touched upon you know saving a few penalties as well nowadays goalkeepers can sort of watch endless videos oh, of strikers yeah. and sort of anticipate where they're going to go and in, in the 1970s you wouldn't have been able to do that what, what was your kind of technique for saving penalties was it eyeballing the, the, well, the person well, taking it or trying to I used to if we, if we got a penalty against us I, I made a point of picking the ball up and going and putting it on the penalty spot and the, whoever was going to take the penalty would be stood there and I was saying like I'm going to go right I don't know which way you're going to go and I just walked back to the goal and like if, if it was a right footer 
And as long as you didn't sight through it, if you sort of come around it, you would always drag it to my right. So you take a chance and, and go that way. But, you know, it was just a bit cat and mouse thing. I just like to put an element of doubt in their mind. And I can remember one game when I came back for Rochdale with Derek Hood. And well, I'd watched Rochdale during, uh, sorry, I'd watched York during the week. Hoodie took a penalty and he smacked it straight down the middle. And it was just brute force, you know. And <laughs> he got... Sarge Law, they got a penalty and I'm there and I picked the ball and I put it down and I says to Hoodie, I'm just standing here, I'm not going anywhere and uh, he took the penalty and he hit it straight down the middle and I didn't actually move because I didn't know which way I was going to go and it hit me on the chest and bounced out and every time we see him we have a laugh because he never forgets, he says, don't mention <laughs> I mean, what was Tom Johnson like then? You know, what what did he do to change that that team from, like you say, applying for re-election, almost down near the bottom, to catapulting it so well? He did, he, he did it like very very quietly. He just kept bringing players in, like Ian Holmes, who was magic, and Barry Lyons and Ian Butler and players like that. And they they were just as I keep going on, they would just slot into a system, and we we didn't have any tactics as such. You know, the the man who took took a lot of credit out of that was Colin Meldrum, the the coach. But I can remember being on on the pitch one day, and we were doing set pieces with Tom Johnson, and the odd occasions that he would do it, and for some some reason he got it in his head that he wanted to do in swinging corners right and he says to Polly Polly I want you to take these corners Polly must have taken about 20 corners and not one of them went right and Tom's there with his baseball cap on his old tracksuit and he still had his piping on on the ground and he just goes he says for god's sake paul i've just turned around and back heel it across and he just walked off right and then the the next time one we took one and he took a corner and brian foster the groundsman you know, there's some great stories about fozzy he was a great bloke he had the the bucket with the whitewashing and he was very very meticulous about the ground i absolutely loved it and paulie took a corner and it hit the bucket and the stuff went everywhere and fozzy absolutely mad like and chased him all over the ground and Phil if you ever interview Phil Burroughs he'll tell you about when we well, there used to be a red ash track around the, the ground at Bootham Crescent and we were having a warm up one morning and Fozzie's out there and we cut the cut well I was, I was jogging along with Phil Burroughs and Phil cut the corner onto the pitch and Fozzie went I picked the fork up and he threw it like a javelin get off my pitch like, if he had hit him he'd have still killed him we had some great stories like that but sorry I'm digressing no it's, it's fascinating and, and I think Fozzie's a, a character that's come up on the podcast numerous times and uh, you know never tire of hearing his, his stories some of the crowds that season I, I think I counted nine times you played in front of 10,000 people mm. I mean, it must have been a real buzz to sort of keep goal in front of such such packed crowds and, and be part of that side. But did you ever feel any pressure as, as a side? Because, you know, that clean sheet record, I imagine once you're sort of getting close to Millwall's record, you, it becomes a big thing people are talking about. Well, and then getting towards promotion as well as it, it gets towards the final games. You know, you're used to being down the bottom end of the table. It's the same group of players. Yeah. Did you ever feel any pressure, any nerves before games? Never never felt any pressure. You know, and you, you, sort of, you, you went, obviously, in every game, hopefully to win it and do your best give 100% and if and when we went a goal down you knew that we had the capability of getting a draw or pinching another one you know we, we wouldn't go down badly so it all seemed to, to work together yeah and, and the Oldham game uh, the clinch promotion <laughs> I think it was a one-all draw they scored a free kick which you literally had no chance with that's one of the ones I've managed to track down what, what were the celebrations like what do you remember about that day and it must have been a real proud time for you it was fantastic but we should have gone up as champions really because we got beaten at Halifax 
the couple of games before and there was a, a doubtful goal in there and I can remember having a discussion with the referee about that but that's, an, that's another story but you know it was it was just great and it was fantastic and we couldn't believe that we were going into the second division which was the championship and you know when we got there the teams that were in there Man United, Southampton you know really really good sides Incredible and, and, and before you uh, got to the you know, equivalent of a championship. You went on a pre-season tour to Iceland, which really random place to go. And what, what what's your memories of that? And and how did that come about? Every other club seemed to you know you'd be reading things and like you know you read in other programs that so and so crew's gone to so and so and they've gone there and they've gone there. And we kept saying to Tom, why don't we ever go on tour? No, there's no tour. No, no. Why don't we ever go on tour? And then one day he come in and with this and he says. I've arranged the pre-season tour, boys. And I said, oh, great. He says, uh, so he says, where are we going? He says, Iceland. <laughs> so everybody went, Iceland? You must be joking. But anyway, we went to Iceland and, as I say, a great set of lads and we had a great time and it was a tour and we, we played a couple of games, Reykjavik and Keflavik, but it was a social thing of team building and we, we had a, a real, we were allowed to basically do what we want and within reason and, and behave, which we did. And uh, it turned out to be a really, really good tour. Yeah, I mean... When he when said you are going on tour, were you sort of thinking Spain? Well, yeah, well, that's, that's what we thought. Yeah, we thought, <laughs> we, thought, we, thought, we thought somewhere like that, yeah. yeah. Iceland. 1974-1975, the first game versus Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. Reading a match report, you obviously played an absolute blinder. And uh, Is that up there with your best ever games? I mean, it, it seemed like you saved shot after shot in the second half. Uh, to be honest, I don't, remember much, uh, I don't remember much about that. And... As I say, my memory is some games. The, the games that I remember as well, there was incidents in. You know, I remember playing in that. I don't remember a lot, of, a lot of saves in that. But I remember the game that's in my head more is the one against Villa away. And we played Villa at, at Villa Park. And the, there was, I think it was about 45, 46,000 there. And we had never played in front. Well, I had certainly never played in front of that before. And uh, we walked into the dressing room and I went, Ooh, we could have a five-a-side in here. You know, it was like massive. It was, and... Um, the referee was a bloke called Gordon Hill who eventually went to America and uh, they, they had a, a, a Scottish centre forward called Andy Lockhead, a big baldy chap and typical rugged Scottish centre forward and I can remember that the first corner and uh, I saw Ray Graydon put the ball down to take this corner and we're all sort of lining up and Andy Lockett just come up and says to me, are you all right? You all right, son? I says, yeah, I'm fine. He says, you won't be in a minute. And this ball came in and I went for it and he whacked me and I'm lying on the ground and he's just like standing over me like looking. And this happened about three or four times and I was starting to get a bit bit annoyed. We're getting mm. whacked. And I said, you know, I said to the ref, come on, ref. He says, I'm in charge of this game. You get on with it, leave all the decisions to me. Like, there was a bit of industrial language from the ref as well, but yeah. which was which was fine. So anyway, into the second half, maybe about 10 minutes, quarter an hour, didn't they? They had another corner. And this time, they put the ball down. And it was good. Everybody could see it was going to be an in-swinging corner. And Andy Lockett come and stood in front of me. And this Gordon Hill come up and he just nudged me. And he says, your turn, son. And I thought, all right, <laughs> get my knees up. <laughs> but, he, you know, he got the respect as well because he was fair. Yeah. And, and I guess it was the same for both both yeah, sides. Both sides, of course, you, you know, yeah. You, I'm yeah. Sure. But it's incredible, isn't it, that that sort of thing happened. Like, oh, it no. just never happened now in, in, in modern-day football. But, again, 
I struggled to sort of find some match coverage from the, these eras, and a lot of them were goals. But the one that, that seems to come up quite a lot is the, the Fulham away game. It wasn't over the line. Yeah, <laughs> I've not even got that as a question. Have I you just, not? <laughs> I just sort of thought, no, we'll, we'll just we'll just say it. It wasn't. But Fulham's that game's always on the big match, isn't it, on ITV and the replay yeah, it and yeah. it was a two 0 away win. Uh, quite a resolute performance from York, I think. But beating like Alan Mullery and, and Bobby Moore in that in that side and you made a fantastic save onto the post as well. I mean well, that that must have given your side a lot of confidence, sort of thinking you could go to a side like Fulham. Oh well, we could go when you could go go to sides like, like Fulham, as you say, Alan Mullery, Bobby Moore, they were, you know and there was a contra- there was a couple of controversial decisions. They should have had a penalty, to be fair, because yeah. John Stone handled it. Yeah, <laughs> but prior to that, I had sort of I'd made a save, and it didn't. You know, I swear to this day, I wish VAR had been there, because it did not go over the line. But Alan Mullery was adamant that it had gone over the line, and uh, so. But against sides like that, we put up really good performances. You know, yeah. in Man United and Southampton and. Yeah, I was going to come on to Man United. I mean, it's incredible for York City to be in Division 2, but equally for Man United to be at that level as well, meaning you played at Old Trafford again. Oh, no, that was um, fantastic. And the, and the match report I read commented that you had a great first-half performance, which you're going to say you can't remember because you didn't have an incident <laughs> with a referee. No, I didn't. No, no. All I can remember about that game is Lou McCarry. Right, like him scoring, and he he said to me before the game, "I'm going to score against you today," and I says, "Oh yeah," and that you know, just a bit of psychology, wasn't it? I can remember the crowd, and what I what sticks in my mind about that game is, if we were defending a corner kick, and I'm you know, I don't think I was ever really vociferous, but I would try to say to Swall, "Pick him up, pick him up," but you, they they couldn't hear what we were saying because yeah, the atmosphere so was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you did the double that season over Norwich as well. You won promotion to the top flight, and Fulham again beaten three two at home, and they ended up getting to the FA Cup final that that year. Again, another I think you got man of a match that that day. Was it a bigger achievement to stay up almost than it was actually to get up? You know, for York City to be at that level oh, yeah. and, and compete is 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 incredible, really. Yeah, you want obviously you wanted to you wanted to stay up. And the two seasons that we were in the well, then championship, I think we should, if we hadn't had the managerial appointment that we had, I think we would still have been there. Yeah. To be in all honesty, and I think a few of the lads that you speak to that were in that side would mm. probably agree with that. Yeah, we'll, we'll come on to that managerial appointment. G- given the high standard that you were playing at, though, and you know, and you were performing really well, like I said, like the, these games that you were doing well in. Did you ever sort of harbour hopes of sort of getting an international call up with Scotland? Because you know, it, w- it was rumoured at some stage, but I think because York City was a, a, in their eyes, a lowly club. You know, you, you weren't in the first division then, or in the Scottish first division then. But you know, I, I had heard rumours and on the grapevine, but it never ever came about. And sad to say, it didn't. But I'd have loved that. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the, the season after. Like you say, was a disaster, wasn't it? Of course, Wilf McGuinness had come in at that that stage, and uh, this was his first full season because Tom Johnson went to Huddersfield. Did he change too much then? Did it? Because I I, th- I think you know Wilf. Uh, if Wilf was to walk in here now, he'd give me the biggest cuddle and great, and we got on great. But as a bloke, he was fantastic. But as a football manager. I didn't think he cut the mustard. You know, like when Michael Sinkle in- introduced him and brought him in, we had played on the Saturday and we'd won and he came in and he said, oh, I watched you lads on Saturday. I don't think you're quite good enough. I might have to change a few things. And he started to bring play- 
player, different players in, and that just destroyed the spirit a bit. And we just gradually went down. And you know, when you struggle, you struggle. It's not through lack of effort or trying. Or you can try too hard. And we just went further down and further down. Yeah, because you know you broke up like the Chris Jones and Jimmy Seal partnership as well. That's right. Which had been yeah. successful. It's been really uh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it must have been a real tough time because you, to have that high of getting promotion and staying up and everything to then just drop so quickly, it must have been really difficult to, to take. It, 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 was, it was terrible, you know, because I think the first season we finished about fifth or sixth in, in, in the, the championship and then the next season we just went down and down and down. And then the, at the end of the season... Like we'd obviously got relegated, and uh, in those in those days, that players didn't have as much power as mm. modern modern players have. And I can remember Wilf saying to me, "He says right," and he, it, you know, to be fair to him, he played me every game in the second division. I, I played every single game in, in both both seasons, and uh, he says uh, your contract's up. He says I need you to sign a new one, and I can remember saying to him, "I says, uh, are you going to be here?" And he says. <laughs> He says, yeah. I says, well, I'm sorry. I says, I'm not. And he says, well, you won't go anywhere. He says, we've got your signature. And I mm. says, well, that's fair enough. I says, because I says, I'm not enjoying it. I says, I'm not doing you any good. I'm not doing myself any good. And I'm not doing the club any good. He says, well, you won't go anywhere. And I can remember going home and saying to my wife, I've walked out. And she just looked at me. And I'm quite stubborn. And like they, they rung me up, and Michael Sinclair, and I says, I'm not going, as long as Wolf's there, I says, I'm not going back. Mm. Did you and effectively I, quit football for six I months? I did, six yeah. months. I went and got a job selling office equipment at a company called David Lynn in, in York. And uh, I'd bumped into Michael Sinclair, and he says, are you and Wolf going to resolve this? I says, it's nothing to resolve. <laughs> I says, and uh, I think Wolf had a decent contract, and obviously York didn't have a lot of money to, to yeah, pay him off. Pay him off. But eventually I got a phone call saying that Scunthorpe United were interested mm. in me would I consider going and uh, I said alright you know I'd love to play football again so I went through and spoke to the manager there Ron Ashman who is the only honest manager I've ever played for he was really really good and uh, I went through and he said to me like why are you not playing? So I explained to him and that, and he says, well, I've seen you a few times. He says, you do well in my side. I'd be quite happy. He says, so, I'll, excuse me, I'll offer you a contract. So he offered me, and I went there, and I had three great years at Scunthorpe, and, and so so much so that I, I tore my cartilage up at Hartlepool, and to save, uh, Ashy says to me, oh, it's safe coming through here every day. Can you get treatment in York? And uh, so I was getting treatment in York and, and getting getting fit. And by that time, Charlie Wright was manager. And Charlie says to me, like, well, I mean, he says, why did you leave? So I said to him, like, he says, well, well, you know, would you like to come back? And I says, oh, obviously I'd like to come back, but I'm happy at, at Scunthorpe. He says, well, just sound sound them out and see what they say. So I went to, to Ron Ashman and I said, you know, like, he was always honest with me, so I tried to be honest with him. I said, look, Charlie Wright's asked me if he'd be interested in going back to York. And uh, he says, no, he says, I'd like to keep you here. He says, I'm pleased with what you're doing and doing that. Yeah, so you've won player of the year, haven't you? I think yeah, yeah. So that was fine. And then about maybe seven or eight games later, obviously something had happened with him, and he, he, he called me in. And he says, uh, can you still go to York? And I says, why? I says, have I got that bad in the last few games? <laughs> he says, no, no. He says, uh, I'm under pressure. He says, if we don't win the next two games, I'm out. So look after yourself. Yeah, it's quite good of him, wasn't it? It was really? really good. So I spoke to Charlie, and I went there, and Joe Neenan came to Scunthorpe. 
because going back to York under Charlie Rabbit, I mean, I think he's quite a Marmite character when, yeah. when you sort of read up on him. But I think you appreciated him and benefited from having a manager who was a former keeper. If, I think if I had met Charlie Wright earlier in my career, I'd have been a much, much better goalkeeper. Because when when you train, and this is not knocking York City's train, it was the same at every ground, to be fair, that you would train, you'd do all the training that all the, all the outfield players did, and then maybe the last quarter an hour, 20 minutes, there'd be about 20 balls on the pitch, and you'd go and go, and they'd just be like hammering balls, like from four yards, 10 yards, 20. That year. And that was the only goalkeeper training you got. Mm-hmm. And I can remember the first session with, with Charlie Wright when he set up training sessions, and he had players one on one and do that. And he would say to me, If you do that, you'll find it's easier. And if you do that, you'll find it's easier. And I really appreciate it. And I think if I had met him earlier, I'd have been a far better goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, 17 appearances for, for York in your second spell then Charlie Wright was sacked Barry Lyons uh, took charge and kind of you were moved to the side was, was that disappointing given he was a former teammate and obviously well, he'd, he'd played, played with it you. was yeah we, we, we met about 10 weeks ago 10-12 weeks ago at City at the Spennymoor game and Baz came, Baz came up to me and he says I need to say something to you and I thought oh what and he says I'm really sorry I got rid of you and I says, he says but he says, I, I did have a word with Peter Madden to get you to Rochdale. And he, he says to me, what it was, because we we played together, he says that he thought he, he would find it hard, me saying, hi, boss, as against Baz, you know. So he, he eventually wanted to clear players out and get his own players in, which was understandable. So he did me a favour in the end because I got another two or three years at Rochdale. Yeah, and Rochdale seemed, again, a bit similar to your Scunthorpe spell, you know, something that, that you enjoyed. And I noticed as well that you, some of your teammates at, at Rochdale, Jimmy Seal, you worked with again, and, yeah. and Terry Dolan, who, who Terry went on Dolan, to become yeah. uh, a York City manager. Let, let's talk about the, the time that you were sent off for Rochdale. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Don, you better talk to my wife about that. It was in the, in the early days when the rule first came out that if you were last man and... You brought a player down, it was an automatic sending off. And I was playing for Rochdale, and we were only 10 minutes into the game, and this ball was knocked through to the winger. He was on his own, and I thought, oh, I can get there. So I sprinted out of the box and slid at him. And as soon as I slid at him, I thought, oh, I'm not going to get there. And I caught him, not badly, and he like sort of rolled over as if he was dying. But then immediately, the ref got the red card out, he was up. And I said to the ref, you're joking. I said, it's only 10 minutes. Sorry, I've got to send you off. Off you go. And in those days, there was no substitute goalkeeper. Like, so I had to give me jersey to Eric Snooks and, that, and got that on. And I, I went... Some chewing gum as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some chewing gum. Yeah. So off I went and uh, sat in the dugout. And the game must have been only going a few seconds, 20, 30 seconds or something, and the whistle goes and he stopped the game. Ref, and he comes marching across. And the pitch is at one level and the dugout's like slightly lower. And I'm sat in there and he's leaning over and he's pointing at my chest, poking at my chest, not poking, but pointing at my chest and saying, I've sent you off. I says, yeah, I'm just watching the game. You're not allowed to sit there. He says, don't you know that that's still within the field of play? You either have to go for a bath or go and sit up in the stand, right? And I'm there and there. And in those days, the only treatment you got was bucket with a sponge in it with cold water. And it, because my temper just went and I just flipped. And I thought, well, if I'm having a bath, you're having a bath. So I picked it up, <laughs> tipped it over him and off I went. And <laughs> we got no wages for six weeks. Well, I got banned for 
think it's four or five games and six something like that and we got no wages for six weeks much to my wife's annoyance oh, I see now why you said about your wife at the start <laughs> you later played for York's rival Scarborough and uh, and you were Radio York's first ever co-commentator what what was the transition like for you out of football because imagine and, and to be fair you've already sort of said about this earlier on that you know to have that adulation of maybe playing at Old Trafford and then mm. You know, a year later, you're there selling office products that you That's said, right. and yeah. you know, and then again, you know, you're back in football, you know, put playing at a, a, you know professional football, and then then to come out, what 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 is it like? Is it's a hard transfer, you know, like because you, That's all you know, yeah, it's all it's all well from from then on when yeah. I was late starting to like twenty twenty one really professional football, and then it's all all I knew, but I was fortunate to play till I was like forty, but. When you have to give up, you think, oh, right, what am I going to do? And I don't think it's so much... Because I, I, I played... Lo- I went and played at North Allerton and uh, I played local football. I played with my son in the village, which was absolutely brilliant. But I think what you miss most is the camaraderie and the dressing room. And uh, But eventually you, you get used to it and you just crack on and do it and try to live it through your kids <laughs> yeah and, and you talked about camaraderie when you met up with all the the old players at the spending more game what's it like when you see each other again is it almost like time has, has, has you not know, passed and, and it's kind of like you're back there in, that in was, the 1970s that, that was just like yesterday you know we walked we walked in and obviously we've aged a bit we've changed shape a bit or whatever but it was just as if we had met again yes you know it was different yeah. yesterday we'd all been together it was unbelievable. That, I think that squad is, it's got something about it. It was a great team. And I, I think if you asked every one of them, they would say that there was no player better than another, but everybody gave that bit extra for, for everybody else. And I think the, the, the nice thing about that is I can't see today's players meeting up like that 50 years later. Yeah, because a lot, a lot of them move on, don't they? Like the turnover of players, yeah. um, even York City this season, I think yeah. there's only about eight players that have stayed on stayed and they on. got promoted, you know. It, it, it's it, And that, that's just the nature of the beast, I think, of what modern football's like, isn't it? Yeah. I was just going to finish off by saying, who, who was the best player that you ever played with and against? Best player? Oh, there's a couple of players. I like, I like, like Phil Burrows was, was brilliant. Chris Toppin was brilliant. Sealy was, like, worked hard, gave 100%. And I think probably the best player I've played against is Mike Shannon. And uh, I can remember, like, being at Bootham, I can still see it to this day, playing at Bootham Crescent. And uh, he came through and we were one against one. And I came out to meet him. And he hit this ball. And I just looked at it, and I was getting nowhere near it, and I turned round, and I could see this ball bend and curve. And fortunately, it hit the outside of the post, but the skill was, was like, fantastic. Best with, probably, Phil Burris. And you, you roomed with him as well? Yeah, I roomed with Phil, yeah. But they were all, you know, Chris Doppin as well was a great player, and you talked about, you know, like, the physical side of it earlier on. And uh, on the occasions that I got whacked and couldn't do anything about it, Chris would just nudge me and say, don't worry, I'll sort him out in a minute. <laughs> and one, one person that he, he sort of sorted out was, was Kevin Keegan, wasn't it, in, yeah. a, in a game against Liverpool where it was a real controversial thing, not for the first time playing Liverpool, I might add, uh, for York City, but you, you'll have been obviously very close to that action. What, was what happened? A, it was not a penalty. Tops won the ball, but Keegan, Keegan dived. And I think he knew he dived because he was laughing at all. But then Alec Lindsay took the penalty, but unfortunately I didn't save it. Well, Graham, it's, it's been fascinating to hear hear about the 1970s. Like I said, we, you know, we it's, it's sort of that era that we haven't interviewed enough players from, I don't think. Um, and, and like you mentioned about Phil Burrows, I think he'll, he'll be on my uh, 
my wish list now. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's there's some, uh, you know, it's an incredible time period, isn't it, for York City? And, and when you consider sort of where they are now, I know they're on their way back up, hopefully. Um, Fingers crossed. But, but you know, it, to, to play at that level, equivalent of a championship, is it's just unprecedented. It is, yeah. I, I, didn't, I don't think, to be honest, I appreciated it at the time. It was just a, a, a game of football. It's only when you, like, look back and you think, I can't believe... I've like paid played at that level, but you know you're talking about you, you were trying to get some footage on games. I think we were only ever on match of the day three times, and it was Fulham, Bristol Rovers, and Brighton. And Brighton, I probably shouldn't mention this, but Brighton was one of the games, and we got trounced because Wilf came in and he dropped Barry Swallow and Chris, and he played Jim Hinch at centre half, and we got trounced, and we got beat seven two. Right, and that game was on the telly. And about maybe four or five months ago, my grandson, who's 16, big York City fan, says, Grandpa, I've seen you on the telly. And I thought, Oh, he's watched the Fulham game. Yeah, I think you were at fault for the third goal in the Brighton game, (laughs) (laughs) which uh, brings you back to earth. But it was lovely. But at least you can look back and say, I've been there, done that. Yeah, and certainly all those grounds and the like. I know Highbury's not there anymore, but, no, but Old yeah, Trafford so, and, and yeah. Villa Park. And, yeah. yeah, it's just incredible. We'll, we'll tell you, quickly tell you about Man City, and, like, and you're talking about characters in the game. We, we, this, this was when the power cuts were on, 74, we played Man City in the Cup. We drew here and we went to Main Road and we did well for the first half. We were getting, we got a bit of trounce in the second half, but we did well. And Rodney Marsh was, Francis Lee got a penalty. Rodney Marsh was playing and Rodney Marsh was typical Cockney. He was all talk, 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 talk. And he, he came and stood, stood in front of me and uh, we, we were losing it a bit then. And he just kept going on and I just said, you're rubbish. And he went, I get 350 quid a week for being rubbish. <laughs> so there's no answer to that. He's got a hat trick in that game yeah. as well, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. No answer yeah. to that. Fair enough. Like, like I say, thanks again, uh, Graham. I, I think it's been great, and, and I hope York City fans enjoy listening to it. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that. Graham Crawford there, absolutely great to speak to him, such a lovely man and it was funny driving over and uh, I picked him up from his house in, in Cotmanthorpe and uh, he was saying oh I'm a bit worried, might not remember things um, from my playing days and then as soon as we got into the interview, I've, I've never done an interview where he's literally answered the next three or four questions that I've, that I've got written down um, without him even seeing them, showing there was nothing wrong with his memory at all and uh, you know he, he gave such great detail I thought of, of that time period for York City. Next week we've got another player who played in that era, Brian Pollard, and he also played in the, uh, the 100 point season in the 80s, so, so that's a really good, interesting interview that will uh, conclude the series. Ways that you can help us, as ever, you know, if, you, if you're able to donate to York Hospital Radio, we're a charity, we rely on donations. The Just Giving site is justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. Thank you to the many people who've, who've done that in the past and uh, noticed there was a couple from previous episodes in this series, so thank you to those people who did that. Other ways that you can help us, if you're listening to this on Apple, it would be great if you could give us a review. That's really helpful. And if you're listening to us on Spotify, which I think is our most listened to uh, platform now, 
then if you could uh, rate the show, that would be really helpful. I think we've got about 28 people have done that and five star review as well, which is really, really nice to see. So if you can do any of those things, that will really help uh, keep the podcast going and get other people interested in it. So um, until next time, thanks very much. Mm-hmm.